0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing, New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. All of Paul's letters contain a great balance of doctrine, In duty. And what I mean by that is the doctrinal aspect, the theological aspect, understanding who we are, and as Ephesians is talking about, where our identity is found. And then the balance of that, the duty, performing the the duty of a Christian, of what we should be doing. Um, And I've said this before, remember, Ephesians 1 through 3 are all about you're not who you used to be. And then 4 through 6 is so don't live like you used to live. And that's very important. Understanding who you are in Christ. And that's very important. And, and the very first thing we're gonna hit on tonight in the next couple of weeks is understanding that there needs to be unity, unity of the brethren, unity in Christ, unity within the local church. Uh, but here's what Paul sets up for us briefly in the first three chapters just by way of review. Here's what the gospel creates for us. First of all, a new me. The first blank is this, a new me. The second thing is this, a new humanity third thing, the gospel creates a new community and then a new mission. So if you read chapters one through three and pay attention, you'd realize that again, you are not who you used to be. We had that list of 11, 12, 13 things. I am blessed and chosen and accepted and adopted all those things. So if you're in Christ, if you're a child of God, those are all of the things that you are. There is a new person living inside of you. That old nature has uh, been demolished, as we've talked about many times. That new humanity, here's what I'm talking about. The gospel erases all of the divisions that have been made in the world. And Paul is specifically talking about the division between what two groups of people? Anybody remember? Yes, the Jews and the Gentiles. And remember, there was that dividing wall of hostility. Uh, Really, when when the temple veil was torn in two, it was like, in a sense, that veil, that that wall was broken down, so there's no more division. We are all one in Christ. We can be one in Christ if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Gentiles that received Christ didn't have to convert into Judaism. So, again, the gospel erases all divisions, and the gospel erases all divisions today. And that's the great thing. You know, I've been on many mission trips, I've been around uh, different countries. And the great thing is, I might not speak their language, but I'm still united with them in Christ if they're a child of God. And that's an awesome thing. And it's, I think sometimes, as Americans, sometimes we forget that we're not going to be the only ones in heaven. There's going to be a lot of other people in heaven with us. You know, we have missionaries going all over the world. We talked about Brother Sixth tonight, who's uh, going to Scandinavia and some of those Swedish countries there. And some of the people that he's able to lead the Lord and the gospel is able to, to transform their lives... We're going to be in heaven with him. That's an amazing thing. So there is no more division. There's a new humanity. And it really doesn't matter who you are, who your past is. That's all been erased in Jesus Christ if you've trusted him as your Savior. The new community that I'm talking about or referring to in the first three chapters is about the local church. Paul hits on this at the end of chapter 2. Uh, the church is something to be engaged with. Why is the church something to be engaged with? Anybody? It's not in your notes, so don't look down. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. Just give me one. Give me, like, the main one that you think. Your family outside of your family? Okay, what else? I need the main one. Why should the church be something that we are engaged with? Being watched as a witness, yes, but there's, some, there's a main one you guys are missing. What? <laughs> Further into the gospel. It's very, very close. You're getting closer. What? So we can grow in Christ, getting closer and getting closer. Anybody? You're like, uh, what? Spit it out. (laughs) Like that? No, not like that. (laughs) Here's the main one that I'm thinking of. It's important to Jesus, right? He died for it. He purchased it with his blood. So since it's important to Jesus, the church should be important to us, right? You know, we talked about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. But the church is part of that mystery that Paul was unveiling to us back in chapter 3 that's been unlocked by Jesus and given to Paul. And I think even as Bonnie was make, making mention, you know, even the angels are, are witnesses of the church, of, of what the church is doing. But really when I say a new community, the church is a community of believers who are called together and unified together under the gospel to carry forth the message of the gospel, even as Brother Ron was saying, to a lost and dying world. And when I think of community, I think of oneness. I think of people being together. You know, that's my community, so I think of me being with that that group of people. And the same is true, or should be true, in the local church. That if we're part of the local church, there should be a oneness, right? A togetherness, a unity within us. Um, You know, it's not a place where, (laughs) let me say this. The community, the local church, is not a place so that you can make sure your preferences are being met. You know, we've talked about that a lot. This community, this local church, is a place to be strengthened, equipped to fulfill God's purposes and make sure his kingdom is being advanced and not yours. And then this new mission that I discussed is really this. Paul had said that he was a steward of God's grace. And the, the point that I made a few weeks ago is that we are supposed to be what of God's grace? Anybody remember that? Dispensers. We are supposed to be dispensing God's grace. So the mission that Paul has given us in chapter 1 through 3, or chapter 3 specifically, is that we should be dispensing God's grace to the the lost and dying world and even to other Christians. But as God keeps pouring his grace to you, we should keep pouring it out to others. And that's very important. Now as we get into chapter 4, that was all kind of quick review of chapters 1 through 3, we go from understanding the gospel to living out the gospel. And I like what some of the uh, the commentators said. They said, uh, we go from doctrine to duty, riches to responsibility, from credenda to agenda. And I had no clue what a credenda was. It's not a credenza. It's a credenda. It's kind of a statement of faith, the beliefs that we have. So our beliefs to an agenda of actually living out those beliefs, from mind-stretching theology to down-to-earth practical implications for day-to-day living. Now, the key word in, in this second half of the book is the word walk. Write that down. It's the word walk. It's found in verse 1 of chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, verse 8, and verse 15. Walking is very important. (laughs) Walking requires us to be consistent. Walking has to be learned. Did Anybody come out of the womb and just start walking? No. If you did, that's amazing. That's a miracle. But when a baby comes out of the womb, they have to learn how to walk, and there are steps in order to get them to walk first, right? Same is true in our Christian life. A baby, again, doesn't come out of the womb walking right away. Walking with God is a, uh, is a learned skill. It's practical skills that takes a lifetime to truly learn. You know, there are some Christians, I was thinking about this today, there are some Christians who are trying to run when they haven't even learned how to walk yet. And it's very important to learn how to walk. And Paul is talking about, over the next three chapters, there are some important principles that we need to walk in. And the first thing is this walk in unity. The second thing is this, walk in purity. The third uh, breakdown of these last three chapters is walk in harmony. And then the fourth is walk in victory. So these are the four ways that we are supposed to walk as a Christian, as a child of God. Now, just in case you were worried, I will not take four weeks on this. I will take a lot longer than four weeks to cover these four categories. I know some of you guys were getting worried about that. Man, we're going to finish in four weeks. I've only got another month here. Don't worry, you've got many, 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 many more months, so it's all good. Anyway, oh, <laughs> this is totally off subject. I went to a ministry meeting the other day in Garland, uh, Texas, with another church, and they invited us over to, uh, to learn some things and discuss some ministry philosophy. So it was, it was very good. And anyway, the guy that they brought in he had said he had heard of a pastor in California that was in the same series for like four and a half years or the same book. So you guys should be thankful. It's only like a year for me. I mean, four and a half years. And I think after like three and a half years, and I could be wrong on this, but after three and a half years, he had one of his deacons come to him. He's like, you know, pastor, I love you. But when do you get out of this book? <laughs> and he was in the book of Mark. And Mark's a great book. And I think the point he made is that you've been in this book longer than Jesus was alive. Laughter <laughs> Or during his earthly ministry or something like that that he said. So I think it still took him another nine months to finish, but four and a half years in one book. So be thankful you're only about a year or so in some of the books that I'm in. But anyway, totally off subject. Uh, but there's two words I want us to look at tonight. We're really going to have some some engagement. That's the the title of the series tonight. But really, this is just setting it up. Uh, we're going to have some engagement tonight. Uh, I want you to take note of the first or a couple words in verse number one. It says, therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech. So the words therefore and the words beseech. You want to underline, circle, highlight, whatever. The word therefore indicates that Paul was basing his exhortations, his encouragement to duty on the doctrines that were taught in the previous three chapters. Now, I want you to listen to something from Warren Wearsby. He's a great uh, preacher of the past. He says the Christian life is not based on ignorance, but knowledge. It's very important to understand why we believe what we believe. Is it not? Why do you think it's so important to understand why we believe what we believe? Anybody? We can't, tell else about it. can't tell someone else about it if you don't understand why you believe it. I mean, it, it, it's not just in the, in the Christian realm. It's in, it's in any realm. You know, if someone's trying to explain something to you and you have no idea that, how to grasp that concept, you're not going to be able to share that with someone else. Or if you do, you're going to completely botch it up, Right? Uh, That happens a lot of times. You need to understand something in order to share it with someone else. So the Christian life should not be based on ignorance, but knowledge. And he continues on. Listen to this. And the better we understand Bible doctrine, the easier it is to obey Bible duties. Let me say that again, because that's good. He said, the better we understand Bible doctrine, the easier it is to obey Bible duties. When people say don't talk to me about doctrine. Just let me live my Christian life the way I want to live. What they are doing is revealing their ignorance of the way the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. It makes no difference what you believe just as long as you live right. That's also a similar confession of ignorance. It does make a difference what you believe because write this down. It's not in your notes, but write this down. What you believe determines how you behave. Let me say that again. What you believe determines how you behave. I'll say that again. What you believe, write this down. I'm just, Never mind. People are like online, like, what, what are you talking about? Who are you talking to? Getting on his wife. I'm getting on my wife, yes, for all those that are <laughs> listening later. <laughs> what you believe determines how you behave. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that. She was giving it to me earlier, so just dishing it back. Whatever. We need some marriage counseling. Please help us. <laughs> anyway, that's a great lesson on unity. We're not in Never mind. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we, we need a lot of help. Uh, it's just, it's getting sad. You know, we got a smaller crowd tonight, so I feel like, you know, I could just really open up. And, you need some time to be patient. It's coming up pretty fast. Do what? need some time It's coming up pretty fast. That's true. <laughs> I'm trying to be patient. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's great advice right there. <laughs> anyway, let's try to reel it back in tonight. So the first thing that Paul is discussing, uh, what did he say we we're supposed to walk in? What? what was the first thing that I said that I mentioned? Walk in what? Unity, yes. So it's very interesting that the first thing that Paul is addressing on the practical side is unity. Why would you think Paul is addressing this? And I and I say this question because, remember, this church was a church of new converts, new believers that had just started understanding what the gospel was about because Jesus had, had just left the scene, and, and, and the church is really starting to come alive. So why do you think Paul is addressing this subject of unity here with the church at Ephesus? Anybody have any idea? If you're not unified, you'll just like fall apart. Yeah, if you're not unified, you'll fall apart. That's very good. What else? What else? I'm going to be asking a lot of engagement questions tonight, so I can look at you just as awkwardly you're looking at me. still permeate. Even though they're unified, like as believers, cultural differences can still possibly come in. Yeah, that's good. Cultural divisions can still come in and cause division, yeah? I mean, you could be unified one day and disunify the other. Has that ever happened in your family? Husbands and wives? Rarely ever happens in my relationship with my wife. Rarely. Oh, where's that lightning bolt? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Never mind. Disunity, though, is the source of more gospel roadblocks than any other thing in the history of Christianity. Get this down. I read this thought today. Disunity is carnal Christianity that is spiritually immature. Disunity is carnal Christianity that is spiritually immature. Now think about that. As a Christian, we are called to be in Christ, or, or once we get saved, we are in Christ, right? That's the thing Paul is addressing over and over in this letter. 20 uh, some times, I think he uses that phrase, in Christ, with Christ, whatever. So if we are in Christ, we are all together with Him. We are all to be unified with Him. But a lot of times, we are disunified. And there's a lot of things that cause disunity. And we're going to ask that question in just a minute. But think about that statement because it rings true. Disunity is carnal Christianity. That is spiritually immature so it's basically if someone is is bringing disunity in the church they're showing that they are living carnally they're showing that they are not spiritually mature because a spiritually mature believer would be unified with someone else would they not yes they would it's might blow you away tonight but yes that's true now you can easily become carnally uh, carnally minded in the matter of moments and what I mean by that is all of a sudden you get your eyes focused off Christ and on yourself, and boom, you're, you're becoming carnally minded as, as Paul addressed that letter and to, the, to the church at Corinth. But it's very easy to let the world permeate within us, to let the culture around us be more than the Christ that's within us. And it's very important that we are living in the world, in the society that we're living, but it's very important that we are understanding that we are in Christ. So disunity is really carnal Christianity that is spiritually immature. This kind of carnal Christian hasn't embraced their identity in Christ. They haven't embraced their new me, their new humanity, their new community, and and new mission. The problem at entry level is that we bring our old selves into the body of Christ. We try to bring our pride and, and that old nature. And Satan wants to do everything in his power to break apart the body of Christ. He doesn't like the church. He doesn't like that the church is on mission for God. So Satan is trying his hardest and his best to try to disunify that body of Christ, that local body of believers. And if Satan can break us apart, then he's going to turn inward to turn us against each other. You know, he wants things like nitpicking to happen. I know that never happens in churches, right? We start nitpicking each other. We start competing against each other. We start comparing we start offending each other and being easily offended. Does that ever happen, to anyone here? And, and when that happens, disunity erupts. You know, unity is something that I believe we are building towards and we have had many times in this church, but there have also been many times in the almost four years that I've been here where we have been disunified. And what it shows me is that we are more carnally minded than spiritually minded. We are more immature in our Christianity than we are mature in our Christianity and our faith. You know, most of us in here have been a part of a church that these things happen not just occasionally, but consistently. And you think about it, why would you want to go to a church like that? I was listening to a preacher today on this very topic, and, and he made the statement, hang on a second, he said, why would, why would people go back to those types of churches, the ones that are always nitpicking and comparing and competing and offending others and easily offended? Why would people go back to these churches? Here's the statement he made. He said, it's because they like the feud. Not the food, but the feud. They like to go into that environment because they're pathologically contentious. I was like, wow, it's true. And I've, I've seen people, you've seen people, maybe you've been those people that have been pathologically contentious that you just like the feud. <laughs> you like being at odds with one another. But if you're always at odds with one another, how can we truly advance His kingdom, His gospel? We can't, we can't. exactly. You know, what, what I'm looking for and what we're looking for at Eagle Drive is really gospel centric unity. Let me ask this question. And for the next few minutes, that's kind of what I want to do because this is really just building on the next several lessons. Are unity and uniformity the same thing? What is the difference? Somebody tell me, what, what is the difference between unity and uniformity? Uniformity is like being alike, but unity is one and the whole. That's good. Units, you're, <laughs> let's see if I remember that. Uniformity is like being alike. It's like, being to it's like being similar to someone else. Yes, exactly, that unity is oneness. So there are a lot of churches, and I'm not trying to, to name names or anything like that, and I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but there are a lot of churches in and through our culture that I think uniformity is the goal. And what I mean is that a pastor, a preacher, staff are setting their standards for the congregation to follow. Understand what I'm saying? So what they're striving for is uniformity. You have to be like me, and if you're not like me, you're wrong. Is that gospel-centric? No, it's not. So, what we're not striving for, and I hope you don't miss, you know, confuse this, I don't want you guys to be like me. I don't want you guys to be like Michael Eaton. Some of you guys are like, I can't grow that hair. <laughs> but we're not trying to have a mold. All right, here's the mold, this is what you have to look like, and if you look like this, you're going to make it. No, no, no. This is what you have to look like. And what I'm talking about, those that are listening later, is the Bible, God's Word. What God says you're supposed to be. Now, there are certain, understand, there are certain principles in God's Word, certain standards that we should all follow. And I've talked about this before. I have standards that are very high in some areas and aspects, and sometimes it can drive my wife crazy but I don't expect someone else to have my standards. And I don't want that to come across to where I might have a high standard, but if you don't have that high standard, that's between you and God. And it really is. God has spoken to me about certain things that I'm trying to not put myself on a pedestal, but I'm trying to keep myself as far from certain things as I can, and I'm realizing that maybe sometimes I still need to go farther. <laughs> because I'm trying to, to, to live as... As righteously and holy as I can, and I'm realizing that it's still I'm, I'm still struggling with certain things, and it's very easy to pick and choose what we base our righteousness, our standards on. Anyway, but the point I'm trying to make is that I have standards, convictions based on what I believe God wants me to do as a pastor of this church. But unless they're biblical, I don't expect you to have those same standards. I don't expect you to dress the way that I dress, or look the way that I look or go certain places or not go certain places. Now, if it's against the Bible, then all of us should be the same, right? We should all realize that that's what God's Word says, so I'm going to do it. But then a lot of people take that, you know what? I like this in God's Word, but I don't like that, so I'm just going to, in a sense, rip that page out. Now, we don't, but that's how we live our lives, right? So what we're trying to do is not have uniformity here. We're trying to have unity. And really, this is a good definition of it. Unity comes from within. It's that spiritual grace, while uniformity is the result of pressure from without. People pressuring you to be like this. Look, I don't want to pressure you to be like anything. I just want to challenge you and encourage you to be like Christ, because that's the most important thing. So Paul is hitting hard on this over the first 16 verses of chapter 4. Unity, unity, unity. You see, unity goes deeper. It's that union that we have in Christ. So again, if the church, and I'm talking about the members who are saved and baptized, are all in Christ, shouldn't we all be unified with the same goal? Yes. And really the goal, and what I'm talking about, is to advance His kingdom, to glorify Him, to honor Him, to make sure everything is going forward, everything is pleasing to God. That's why it's important to understand our doctrine. That's why I've preached a lot of doctrine since I've been here. Because I want us to understand who we are. I want people to understand what the Bible says. But so many people that I've learned over my years of of ministry and Christianity, so many people have a surface level Christianity. And what I mean by that is they know the basics. They can skim the Bible and they they know roughly what the Bible says, but you gotta go deeper. You gotta be like that tree, that the tree that is rooted, right? Rooted and grounded, that, that's deep, and we talked about that last week in the lesson. That's why Paul wants us to be rooted and grounded in his love. So unity, it goes far deeper. Look, again, I'm not interested in uniformity. You know, I want people to be led to the Lord, not by me, but by the gospel and understanding what the gospel is all about. And let me ask this question. In your opinion, what is the greatest cause of division in the church? Disunity? Yeah, that's good. Let me ask that again. What is the greatest cause of division in the church? Disunity? What did somebody say? Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Very good. (laughs) Too many one (laughs) of these? I like that. Pride? That's good. What? Everybody wants to be in charge. It goes back to that too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Yes? Envy? Yeah. Change? Yeah. I think the list could go on, right? There's a lot of things that, that cause division in the church, and really it goes back to yeah, disunity, but pride and envy and too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Too many people want to be in charge. And that's, that's one thing I've realized in a lot of the counseling that I've done since I've been a pastor. And uh, one thing they never teach in Bible college is truly how to counsel every situation. You know, when I, it, it blew me away. I got into ministry, and uh, I was fresh out of Bible college. And I remember um, counseling with a couple of teenagers about something I had no clue about. And I'm like, man, my counseling class did nothing for me. I just wasted a year of my. I didn't waste a year of my life. But you can't understand every every single concept. But the the more I've realized, the more I've been in God's Word, the more I've been in Christ, the more He's developed in me, trained in me, grounded me. Uh, deeper I guess my knowledge of him has grown and it's it's caused me to be able to help people but one thing I've learned as a pastor is that there is a struggle with control <laughs> with a lot of people there's a huge struggle with control and when you you know we talked a lot about changes a lot of times you know um, I think you guys should just expect change with me obviously the pews are all messed up so you know who knows what's going to happen next week but the thing that I've realized and the thing that I've found is, man, so many people want to be in control. They want to be in charge, right? It's not even about me being in control. It's about being in submission to the Holy Spirit. And that submission to the Holy Spirit, that's a hard thing for a lot of us because of pride and envy and all kinds of other stuff. And even in relationship, there's one person that wants to be in control. I'm going to control you. And I'm going to control you. That's not how it should be. That's not going to create unity, is it? That's setting a standard of uniformity. Hey, we're trying to, I'm trying to make you into who I want you to be. That's wrong. It's not how it should be. And let me ask this. What kinds of things happen when there is divisiveness within the church? What kinds of things happen when there is divisiveness or division within the church? What are some things? You can give examples. Don't, like, start naming names, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gossip. Yes, that's good. What are some other things that happen when there is divisiveness or division within the church? What? Anyone? People leave. People leave. yeah. That's good yeah, that's never happened, right? Never, never happens in family, right? It's very easy, and I, I've realized this too, it's very easy to focus on the minor instead of major on the major. And I've been guilty of that at times, and I think even with that uniformity versus unity, you know, and I'm not trying to bash anyone, but've I've heard of preachers and pastors that are meant. they're preaching the same thing all the time, like certain standards, and they're just driving it down your throat. And it's like, seriously, how am I supposed to live the way I'm supposed to live if I can't even attain to your standards? So what are what are what are some other things? What are what are some other things that happen when there is divisiveness within the church? People hide? They don't stand up and call the divisiveness out and say knock it off. Why do you think that happens? Yeah. Very much out of our comfort zone. Exactly. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't like confrontation. I don't necessarily like confrontation, but sometimes it just meets me head on. It's obviously my personality. Uh, my wife hates confrontation, and she would admit that. But yeah, I think I think she's right. Because of it, we don't stand up for the truth, right? And instead of fighting for that unity, we just kind of give in to the disunity, and we're no different than the other person, right? What are, what, are, what are some other things? i got a couple more questions tonight. But what are some other things that happen when there is division in the church? Gossip. People gossip. <laughs> oh, all the time, right? Echoes. That does. Gossip stirs up strife and contention and disunity. That's, that's a great thought. What else, Brother Ron? Miscommunication. Miscommunication. Explain. Yeah, when is, this is rough. exactly, exactly, and that's happened a few times, you've probably been in a few meetings like that, right? Uh, no, no okay, okay, just a couple, <laughs> that's good, Michael, yeah, that's good, the gospel gets weak, why don't you explain what you're, what you're saying by that? Yeah, so instead of really Someone really getting something from the message What he's saying is the gospel is weak And not the gospel is weak But because of the disunity People will see that They're going to come in from the outside And like, wow, this church is a bunch of contentious people Like, I'm not going to get anything out of that And a lot of times they don't even pay attention Because they're, they're trying to get out of here as quick as they can And sometimes people come in like Oh man, this is my kind of church <laughs> Sadly, that's good though What else? What are some other things? Churches die, Churches die. yeah, that's it you know, I, I read that book, and many of you in here have read that book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, by Tom Rainer. And uh, it's something you don't necessarily notice when you're in a dying church. And that's, that's where our church was at almost four years ago. We were a dying, dead church. I like what Miss Dean said a few years ago. You know, when I came over, and when I came in to take over, I came to take over a, a nursing home or a retirement home or whatever it was <laughs> she stayed at a couple of years ago. It was pretty funny. But just because you have older people doesn't mean there's death. But death comes when people are unwilling to change, when they're unwilling to give up control, when they're more concerned about their preferences instead of what's biblical. And those are good. Those are very good. What else? What are some of the things that happen when division is within the church? This is, this is good. Church split. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been a part of a few of those in my life. Uh, uh, with, with my dad in Indiana, there's been two, three church splits, and it's because people... Almost that miscommunication. You know, one person is siding with this side. One person is siding with this side. But who should we be siding with? God, first and foremost. And it's very easy to take sides because that's my friend. That's my family. That's my brother. That's my sister. Whoever, I've seen that. I've seen that firsthand as a, as a little kid, as a teenager, as an adult. Many times over, yeah, church split. All because we're more concerned about ourselves, our opinion, our preferences than the gospel. How sad is that? That's good. These are good. What else? What else? I think overall it just takes the focus off of Jesus where it's supposed to be. And when you take that focus off, it's not just like visitors see it, but even when everybody's not unified in here, it takes everybody's focus off your message and then we're concerned about what's going on. Exactly. So all in all, it's just a big old giant unnecessary distraction. That's good. takes the focus off Jesus and it's his church focus should always be on Christ. That's, that's very good. But Alan? Yeah. Spiritual immaturity. I mean, it kind of goes back to the reason why there is disunity is because people are truly spiritually immature. And they're carnally minded instead of spiritually minded. And even someone that comes to church all the time, and I'm not trying to, to pick on anyone tonight, but just because you come to church all the time doesn't mean you're spiritually minded. You could be the most carnal minded person in the world, but you can be here every time the door opens. And you can even read your Bible, but you can still be the most carnally minded person in the world. I mean it was happening in the church of Corinth. These are good. Let's let's continue on. Got a few more questions to ask tonight, but any anything else? Some people's the wrong Bible. Some people has the wrong Bible? Yeah. Yeah, that can that can that can cause disunity. You're right. You're right. Let's continue on. There's uh, cause there are a couple more questions and we're running out of time. This is good. Um, You know, churches that are unified in the gospel are the ones that are thriving because the spirit of divisiveness has been stamped out. You know, our our theme for this year is thrive, and I'm trying to get us to thrive, and I've realized that if we're really going to truly thrive, we have to be unified in the gospel, unified in Christ, together, oneness. So let me ask this. How do we reconcile our uniqueness? Because what I mean by this is that we are all unique, right? (laughs) Right? We are all completely different in here. So how do we reconcile our uniqueness and our unity? Yeah. So that's always the on there everybody, and then still allows you to keep your That's good. That's good. Allows you to keep your individuality, but I just botched up that yeah. word. But uh, yeah, allows you to keep that whatever word she said, and still be unified in the gospel. That's good. Um, let's ask this question: Why does staying unified require so much effort? What? It's like tug of war. Yeah, it's that, that. That's a great analogy. I think there's a constant tug of war going on within the church, within the local body of believers, within members. Because we're fighting for our own, own standards and preferences. And I think it goes back to then control. Not willing to just give up control. Because whose church is it? It's God's church. So, yeah, staying unified requires a lot of effort. Because as we all know and have seen, not just within the church, but let's talk about our family, let's talk about businesses, that all of a sudden they were unified. And all of a sudden something happened and it disunified them. Many of us know, even relationships, we've been in relationships that something happened disunity caused that relationship to suffer and it can happen in a moment so since churches are diverse what unifies us as the body of christ word of god God. yes what else that's very good since the church is so diverse what unifies us as the body of christ purpose what's the purpose disciples and get people saved and glorify God. That, that's it. I mean, that's, that's the purpose of any church, right? The Great Commission is to go and tell and, and make disciples, so to evangelize the lost and dying world. So that's the most important thing, right, in the church. Not what color carpet, or if there's coffee allowed or not coffee allowed, or what color light bulb, or if there's a pulpit or if there's a stand. There are certain things, again, that you know, I even have a hard time because of preferences going away from, and I've had people like, oh, we should do this. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can do that because it's ingrained in me because that's what church has to look like. But the more I get back to my Bible, the more I realize that those aren't important things. What's most important? Making sure the gospel is going forward. And if, yeah, I'm praying, yes, but are we, are we truly praying? Are we truly making sure the gospel is going forward? Or are we so worried about, oh, I can't have coffee. I'm just using that as an example tonight. But I can't have coffee in church anymore, so I'm, I'm leaving. I mean, it, it's silly, but that stuff has happened. Because we're more concerned about our preferences. What if I were to take away the blankets, crank down the air to 62? I know, right? <laughs> Some of you would be like, praise God, finally. Finally. <laughs> Sweating every time I come in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm just going to keep going on. <laughs> you do exactly. Exactly, you can't. One exactly. I can't even please my wife all the time. <laughs> Half the time. Quarter of the time. <laughs> really? I'm just keeping digging a ditch. That's okay. I'm used to it. <laughs> pick <on someone> else. <laughs> it's easy to pick on you. <laughs> oh, let me continue. We're almost done. The common denominator, though, of... Of any action that disrupts unity in the church is selfishness. The common denominator of any action that disrupts unity in the church is selfishness. What do you think I mean by that? We've already kind of hit on it tonight. This is good. I, I like this engagement tonight. So what do you think I mean by that? The common denominator of any action that disrupts unity is selfishness. People went their, their own way. Yes, I want it my way, right? It's kind of like uh, who was it, Frank Sinatra, that song, you know, I did it my way. That's exactly how he sang it. Exactly how he sang it, right there. Let's take that off. Let's erase that. <laughs> what else? Someone said something. You take your eyes off of others and you put them on yourself. Yes. Amen. But, Amen. But to look at others, and when you're always focused on someone else, then you're never going to focus on your own issues. Yeah. I mean, Paul hit on that in Philippians chapter 2 about being others-focused, others-minded. Uh, but she hit a point that I was probably going to hit on maybe in the next couple of weeks. The church is not about—I don't want to say this. It's not about what can I get out of the church. What I mean by that, I'm going to go to church so the church can just give me, give me, give me. It's what can I do to help the church? What can I do to make sure the gospel is going forward? And I meet a lot of individuals that, you know, they, they call all the time and like, I need something, Pastor. Well, I'll try to help you as best I can, but what you need is the gospel. And I'm not trying to not give money and help people, but I've realized the more money I give, all I'm doing is enabling certain people. But then at the same time, I'm, I'm also, you know, I, I look at the scriptures, you know, what you did to the least you did to me and, you know, talking about Jesus. So it's, it's that balance. But sometimes when people call me, <laughs> I think I've shared this, this story before. When I was in Indiana, I uh, had a guy call me and, you know, um, I wasn't the pastor, but I was like, you know what? It's not in our budget to really, we can only help so many people. And I think we've already hit that allotment for this month. And the guy went off on me. He's like, well, how is that really showing forth Jesus? I just kind of kept my mouth shut and well Jesus is about helping other people. And I I wanted to say, well, are you ever ever even going to step inside of our church and actually try to see what the church can help you with spiritually? But I didn't say anything, I kept my mouth shut. But it's sad, people have that, that view. Well, the church is there to help me. Well, yeah, we're here to help you spiritually. But I'm not here to enable everyone. And there are funds that we have that we allot for certain things, but I can't give everyone everything that they need. I still need to have my nice putting green, so, (laughs) totally off subject. That's that selfishness, see? That's that selfishness that's coming out in me. It's disrupting the unity that's here tonight. I know, that was awkward. Anyway, I just had to throw that in there. But it takes work to put the interests aside of ourselves to serving others. And Amanda really hit hit the nail on the head to where we have to worry about someone else, care for someone else, be concerned with someone else, because that's going to promote a spirit of unity and not disunity. But the more we're focused internally, the more selfish-minded we are. Pastor's not giving me what I need. His messages are way too long. We've been in Ephesians for 22 weeks now. Hey, it's not four and a half years. (laughs) (coughs) But it takes work. It takes work living in peace. It takes work surrendering ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit. I like this. I'm almost done. A contentious church attracts contentious people. But a unified church attracts people that want to be unified in the gospel and not unified under some man, some set of standards that aren't even biblical. And that's what I desire of this church, and that's what Paul's desire was for Ephesus, for Colossae, for Galatia, for all of those churches, because within all of those letters, he hit on the subject of unity at some points. You know, today is 9-11, and I came across this illustration. It's, it's a fitting illustration to kind of end with tonight. During the tense hours of the events surrounding 9-11, two courageous words were heard on board United Flight 93. And the words were, let's roll. Those two words became the rallying cry for our nation in one of its darkest hours. On the morning of 9-11, terrorists crashed commercial airlines into two towers in the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Flight 93 had also been hijacked and was heading towards its target when passengers and crew realized what was happening. They pulled together as a group and stormed the cabin, thwarting the terrorist plan. So you think about that. What would be the result if a church today acted in a similar manner as the brave men and women did on Flight 93? Let's roll. Let's make sure the gospel is going forward. What could this church do? Again, and I've said it many times, I feel like I'm just, you know, beating a drum. And I don't think the world is yet to see a church like that. I don't think the world's yet to see an individual like that, but that's what Paul, his heart, his desire is. Unity, unity, unity. Unified, not uniformity, but unity. So think about this as we close with these kind of questions. If we were truly united together, kind of like those people that were on Flight 93, how would our church be different? Let's ask that question. How would our church be different if we were truly unified together like that, that those people on the plane, like, hey, let's let's roll. We've got to get these guys. We've got to stop this. How would our church truly be different? Anyone? Wouldn't be much fear? Wouldn't be much fear? Oh, that's good. We'd be afraid together, which would make us strong. Yeah. In a way, All I'd be think going we're... the same direction. All be going the same direction. Yeah, that's important. Because a lot of churches, whoosh. I don't know who put that there. Yeah, that's good. What were you saying, though? The fear? Yeah, I mean... I'm... No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I, I think that, like, on that plane, people were afraid. Yeah. But because they were all together, it was like they lost... The fear got put... It was still there, but it wasn't preeminent. It was no longer the main thing. Yeah, that's good. That's good. What else? How, how could we be truly different? We'd all be going the same direction... I don't think there would be as much fear for going forward in some things. What, what else? How, how would how would our church be different, look different? Anyone? Well, kind of like Amanda said, there's so much courage that comes out of numbers. So even if it's just two or three people that are seeking towards the same mission or the same goal, when it's a large group of people, you know, you are kind of unstoppable. Yeah, that's good. An unstoppable force. And really that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be on the offensive. Because the Bible says, what, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Satan can't keep up with the attack of going forward, of going the same direction, of having that courage to move forward, knowing that God is with us. I mean, do we truly believe that? I think we'd like to say so, but do we believe it? If we truly believe that God is with us, then we're going to be willing to do whatever it takes to make sure the gospel is going forward. And I've heard this statement said before and it kind of took me off guard, but but then I started listening to it and realizing what the point was. We should be willing to do anything outside of sin to make sure the gospel goes forward. Now listen to that again. We should be willing to do anything outside of sin to make sure the gospel goes forward. I'm not saying we should sin, but anything and everything that we can think of to make sure the gospel goes forward. Here's what I mean. Here's some illustrations. You know, um, some people like coffee. We talked about that tonight. You know, going to a coffee shop and meeting an individual and sharing the gospel, that's a way to promote the gospel. That's a way to carry forth the gospel message. What I'm saying is that as a church, we can't just be stuck in the past of what we've always done. We have to be looking for new ways to make sure God's message is going forward. To make sure the gospel is going forward, to make sure people are being saved, to make sure the, the people are being evangelized and, and witnessed to. We have to be thinking of, of new strategies, not new doctrines, but new strategies, new methods. And you know, that's why we're trying to implement this pray and go, just trying to figure out some way to make sure that we all can hopefully be collective together going forward and praying for people and, and seeing that the gospel goes forward. You know, it makes a difference what you believe because what you believe determines how you behave. And that's why it was so important that we hit on the past three, three chapters in the past 20 weeks, understanding what we believe. And really, as I close out this lesson, it's this, unity should be a given, but staying unified takes work. Unity should be a given, but staying unified takes work. And as he said, and I think we've already said it and you've already written it down It makes a difference what you believe because what you believe determines how you behave. And I want you to understand that how we need to behave is a church that is unified. And we're going to hit even deeper on this in the next couple weeks. But we have to be unified, not with me, but with Jesus Christ. Unified in the gospel. And as the title suggests, engaged. Once we're engaged Once we understand what our identity is, it's going to help us live out the gospel and do what God wants us to do.